Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Last Christian. My name is J.D. Williams, and joining me from New York City is my co-host, Mr. David Paxton. And if I sound like I'm rushing, I am, because we got a lot of news to cover. Half-truths, intentional omissions, deliberate lies. Who does that sound like? I'll tell you who it sounds like. The news media. If you are buying what they're selling, then you're not reading your Bible, because it is there, okay? The media is full of your fake news, fact checkers. By the way, I am a member of the U.S. Press Association, and just this week they actually elevated me in stature on that organization to a professional in the media. So um, I want to let you guys know that we're going to get into this in depth. Uh, Today is heavy on news, but it all comes together in the fact that we are running out of time as a civilization and as a world before Jesus Christ takes care of all our issues. Uh, I want to start with uh, th- this one's a little bit different because this is another country, but in regard to the United States, listen to this out of Mexico. Mexico is pressing for an immediate inquiry into the flow of U.S. military-grade weaponry into the hands of Mexican drug cartels, as stated by Mexico's top diplomat. The Mexican military is encountering weapons like belt-fed machine guns, rocket launchers, and grenades, items not commercially available in the U.S., in the arsenals of these cartels. Since late 2018, the Mexican army reported seizing 221 automatic machine guns, 56 grenade launchers, and 12 rocket launchers from these groups. Paul Gomez reports. So as you can see, the border crisis is not just a one-way street. Um, The the drug cartels, they're smart enough to come across over here. They they sneak across the border. They get what they want. They take it back into Mexico, and they keep the Mexican government under their thumb. And for anybody that doesn't know it, the drug cartels basically run Mexico. I mean, you know, uh-huh. I hate to say it, but that's that's really true. Any time that they stand up to them, they find themselves dead. So, for the most part, they just kind of go along to get along. Now, this one we may have more on next week. Okay, but Texas Governor Greg, Greg Abbott was interviewed by Tucker Carlson, and Governor Abbott here in Texas has informed. Uh, the federal government, that he is prepared. Um, So what does that mean exactly? Well, uh, in this phone interview, the governor explained that he's prepared for whatever the Biden administration has to throw at him, and he added that the potential federalization of the Texas National Guard would be a boneheaded move by the president that would not deter Texas. Now, when Carlson asked him about the potential for the Biden administration to take over the Texas National Guard. He said, well, first, I'd be shocked. It'd be a bonehead move on his part, a total disaster. But for one, as you might imagine, we are prepared in the event that that unlikely event does occur to make sure that we will be able to continue exactly what we've been doing over the past months. And that is building these barriers. The Biden administration is now trying to attack us because of it, and we will continue to do exactly what we're doing to expand our denial of illegal entry into the state of Texas. All we can do is be prepared as possible, deploy as many people as possible, do as much as possible to put up more border barriers and deny that illegal entry. We're working hard regardless of what the Biden administration is doing and The Supreme Court ruled this week that the uh, federal government could go in and take down razor wire. And the state of Texas said, no, no, you can't, because we're not going to let you in. And the government has been smart enough so far not to challenge Texas authorities. Um, The United States government, and believe me, I want to make this clear, I'm not promoting civil war by any stretch of the imagination. Anybody that says that, you're not paying attention to what I just said. I'm not promoting civil war. But if they try to break through the Texas lines, Texas will shoot. I promise you. We will not take, I mean, Texas won its independence from Mexico by capturing the president of Mexico and holding me hostage till he surrendered his country. Now, I don't know. If you don't understand history, you're bound to repeat it. That's all I got to say. Okay, mm-hmm, now then. Mm-hmm. 
David, do you have any comment on that one or just want to let that one go for well, now? Yeah, I mean, clearly the, the Supreme Court, as it were, it's not really supreme because the Supreme Court is in heaven, but they, they don't understand or, or they're just not letting you know that the states actually have sovereignty in all of this, right. that this, the states can make their own decisions. And you can't just go in and say, hey, I'm going to take all your stuff. Uh, that's that's not how this works. So, yeah, they're they're clearly misrepresented. And you people out there need to know that, too, that this is the United States, not, right. hey, this is the federal government. And then he's see, there's some divisions we have. So it's it's simply that. You know, well, I will add very, very quickly, and that is that um, our National Guard is under Governor Abbott's command, and they have no mm -hmm. intention of being under anybody else's. Uh, also, there is um, a total, and we're up now to 25 states that have signed a letter supporting the state of Texas, and a total of 20 states that are sending either um, their National Guard or um, active uh, members of law enforcement and other agencies to support the troops that Texas has that are in that standoff with the United States. So, you know, uh, be careful, folks, is all I can say. Be careful because mm -hmm. Texas doesn't mm -hmm. play. I promise you, Texas, if they, take, if they say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. So, so you know, yeah. that's, And I, I want to comment, too, that there's a couple movies out there, and they, they talk about Civil War coming. So, you know, they're probably – poking this around just to say, hey, we're, we're planning on this, mm -hmm. and this is what we're going to do. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, yeah. We may have more on this later. We'll see. It may not even be big news by next week. Who knows? Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, things change very, very quickly. And that's the reason we're going to run through this real fast, and we're going to have comments mm -hmm. on it, but we've got a lot of ground to cover. And remember now, what we're focusing on here is what the media tells you and what the truth is. Okay, because yeah. in many cases, it's it's different. So let's begin with this one right here. The leader of the biggest political party in the European Parliament has called for the European Union to collectively build up nuclear weapon capabilities. Manfred Weber says the EU should be capable of defending itself, especially if the US pulls support from NATO, the military alliance widely considered to be Europe's shield against adversaries. Ishan Garge has more from Brussels. Addressing the possibility of Donald Trump's return to the White House, Manfred Weber says Europeans must prepare to defend themselves without the U.S. Weber heads the European People's Party, which is also tipped to win European Parliament elections in June. He says the 27-nation bloc should build its own nuclear deterrence. French President Emmanuel Macron had floated the idea of using his country's 300 nuclear warheads as a security blanket for Europe in 2022, but the idea was shot down by Germany. Now, amid wailed nuclear threats from Russia and worries of a Trump presidency weakening NATO, the call for a stronger defense architecture in Europe is growing. Ishan Gerg, Brussels. Okay, that is our first half-truth, intentional omission and deliberate lie, because uh, under President Donald Trump, NATO was strengthened. It was not weakened. Mm -hmm. uh, there were no wars going on under yeah, President none. Trump. Um, and I can tell you this, the United States provides most of uh, NATO's strength. And all President Trump did is say, pay, pay your fair share. That's it. Just pay your fair share. Well, they don't want to pay their fair share. They would rather that Biden just takes it all. Okay. So, again, mm -hmm. that's a media lie. I pointed it out to you. Uh, and they're all worried about President Trump. Well, okay. Worry about him and then worry about yourself, number one. Okay. Here's the next one. This, we're just going to keep rolling. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky expressed concern over the possibility of Donald Trump returning to the U.S. presidency, labeling Trump's assertion that he could halt the war between Ukraine and Russia in one day as very dangerous. During an interview with Channel 4 News in the U.K., Zelensky extended an invitation to Trump, the leading Republican presidential candidate, to visit Kiev on the condition that he fulfills his bold claim. Trump's campaign spokesperson, Stephen Chung, did not provide a comment on the matter. Chris Anderson reporting. Okay, and now, now we have a half-truth on this one as well. And mm -hmm. let me tell you this. Uh, yes, he will end it on day one. You know how he's going to do it? He's going to tell Zelensky, no more money from the United States of America is coming your way, so you better, uh, you better make nice with the Russians right now, and that's going to be the end of it. So it's up to you. You can either be destroyed tomorrow because we have pulled all our money and all of our support, or you can make a deal and move on. That's my uh, that's my position on it, David. What do you think? 
Yeah, well, that that clown is a, just a puppet anyway. Just look at his history. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there you go. I agree with that completely. No, we're just going to keep rolling. Here we go. The U.S. Navy's chief commander in the Middle East, Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, indicated that Iran is very directly involved in maritime assaults executed by Yemen's Houthi rebels amid the conflict between Israel and Hamas. While Cooper didn't assert that Tehran orchestrated each specific attack by the Houthis in the Red Sea and Gulf of Aden, he did recognize that Iran-linked hostilities have broadened their scope, now menacing regions beyond the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz. Benjamin Wright reporting. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. Yes, half-truth when he said that uh, uh, something about Iran uh, not being in full charge. They're in full charge. All they got to do is tell the Hooties to stop. The Hooties stop right now. They don't mm-hmm. move on because that's where they get their money from. They can't survive without Iran. Iran is in charge. And everybody that's feeding you all this line, well, again, half-truths, intentional omissions, and deliberate lies. So now let's move on to the fact that the United States is already in an undeclared war. Did you know that? Here we go. Mm -hmm. The UK and the US have launched their second joint strikes against Houthis in Yemen, aimed at deterring attacks against cargo ships in the Red Sea. The British Foreign Minister says the strikes send a clear message to the Iran-backed fighters. Julia Chapman reports. U.S. officials say eight locations were targeted in Yemen by British and American forces. They launched more than 25 munitions targeting the Houthis' missile and surveillance capabilities. U.K. Foreign Secretary David Cameron says the strikes send the clearest possible message and are degrading the Houthis' capabilities. But in the 10 days since the last joint strikes, the Iran-backed Houthis have carried out 12 attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea. A Houthi spokesperson says the attacks will not go unanswered or unpunished. Julia Chapman, London. Yeah, we'll jump up and down and scream at the United Nations. Uh, you know, I'm sure that'll have a huge impact. Or maybe we'll oh, yeah. uh, throw some sanctions on them, something like that. I'm sure that'll have a huge impact, too. It has so far, right? Yeah, sanctions. That, that, that's funny. Yeah, okay, <laughs> sanctions. And it'll be like, that's cool. What's that? And go do whatever they do. Yeah. Who decides? Mm-hmm. I have no idea about this stuff. Again, they get all their arms. They get all their money and everything else from Iran. So, again, yeah, which, you, know, you know, we gave them pallets full of money uh, yeah. and, under uh, Obama. And <laughs> that's the money they're using. To, yep. to, 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 they're terrorists. They don't want to listen. Right. That's what they do. Right. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> here's the first report today. This is a, I get these every day. Uh, he he takes us who does a spotlight. Okay, this is the first spotlight uh, for the day, and th- this kind of wraps up what we've been talking about. So l- let's listen to this right here. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Donald Trump's early victories in the battle to win the Republican Party's presidential nomination have already had a number of interesting global impacts. In Britain, the government and opposition have indicated in recent days a desire to crack Donald Trump's inner circle in a bid to influence foreign policy thinking within it. Meanwhile, a top German politician is suggesting that with Trump resurgent, Europe should consider developing its own nuclear deterrent on the basis that it may not be able to shelter beneath an American nuclear umbrella if the former president returns to the White House. The proposal was floated by Manfred Weber, leader of the centre-right European People's Party. General Dominique Tricon is the former head of the French military mission to NATO. I I think that uh, coming from a German uh, authority, it will be very difficult for Germany to have that. Uh, You know, how is the sense of anti-nuclear in Germany? On the contrary, President Macron have already said that the French nuclear deterrents have a European interest. So I think they should discuss with countries who have already nuclear deterrence and have a proposal on the the table and discuss the rest of the defense uh, policy. The mere idea of that discussion underscores the extent to which European lawmakers are making moves in case Donald Trump's forward march leads him all the way back to the Oval Office. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Have you noticed that every report has said something about Donald Trump? Yeah, and and somehow he's going to blow everybody up with nuclear weapons. Yeah, all all he does is protect the United States, and and it's all about America first. That's it. I mean, okay, Mm -hmm. if, if I live in Mexico, I want Mexico to be first. If I live in Great Britain, I want them to take care of me first over there. 
mm-hmm. if I live in Australia. I want the Australian government to take care of me as an Australian citizen. And now, as a citizen of the United States of America, I want a president who's competent enough to put two sentences together, make sense out of it, and protect me as a United States citizen. And right now, we don't have that, in my opinion. Yes. David? Remember those days? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to. Uh, but, you know, uh, I mean, I've never seen a country go downhill in, in just over three and a half years before, but that's exactly what has happened. The United States is, you know, we're we're on a fast track to not being a country anymore, again, in my opinion, my personal opinion, mm-hmm. protected under the United States Constitution. Okay, now then, I'm going to play you one here, and I want to listen to this one very, very carefully, because it's out of India, okay? But I want you to... As you're listening to it, I want you to replace something. Replace the name of the country that is being spoken about here with the name Israel. Okay, that's all I'm asking you to do. Replace the name of the country with Israel and see what you think the response would be. Listen to this one. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has inaugurated a controversial Hindu temple in a ceremony that was live-streamed to millions of households across the country. Mr Modi described the events as the beginning of a new era for Hindus. The temple's inauguration fulfills Mr Modi's decade-old election promise of building a temple on the site where a 16th century mosque once stood. Critics have questioned the timing, calling it a political move aimed at boosting his chances at winning a third term in upcoming national elections. Priyata Brajabasi brings us this report. Prime Minister Narendra Modi led the prayer ceremony at the inauguration of the Ram Temple in the North Indian town of Ayodhya. Hundreds of thousands of Indians across India and many in other parts of the world celebrated the event by holding prayer gatherings and viewing parties. The 160-foot tall temple, still under construction, now stands on what was a disputed site for many decades. 30 years ago, the 400-year-old Babri Mosque was raised by Hindu right-wing mobs, creating religious fault lines in the country. In 2019, India's Supreme Court criticized the demolition of the mosque but handed over that land to Hindus, ending a decades-long dispute. Priyata Brajbasi in New Delhi. Okay, so now, again, I ask you to think about that from Israel's turn because, you know, you got the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There's a mosque there. Now, what if Prime Minister Netanyahu said, we're going to build our temple over that? We're going to take out that, we're going to take out the... Um, Islamic mosque, and we're going to replace it with the Jewish temple. Do you think the world would take that well? Oh, I am very much standing here beside myself, wondering <laughs> if this would actually happen in Israel. <laughs> yeah, you, know, uh, you know, I have an, an opinion of what happens to the um, Islamic mosque that is sitting there with the gold dome or whatever you want to call it, that is sitting on the temple mm-hmm. mount. I have my own personal opinion of that, which I'm going to hold. I'm just going to tell you well, that it's that not going to be. Uh, the, that's the court of the Gentiles that was uh, listed in, in the book of Revelation. So you might want to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to keep going. Here we go. A little bit more. This mm-hmm. time we're going, we're moving to Germany now. In Germany, massive oh. demonstrations erupted nationwide with an estimated 250,000 individuals protesting against the far-right alternative for Germany party. The protests were sparked by a January 10th report from Corrective revealing that ADF representatives convened with extremist groups in Potsdam in November. Discussions at the meeting reportedly included the forced removal or remigration of foreigners and Germans of migrant heritage. Benjamin Wright reporting. So, ethnic cleansing now. But, Mm. of course, they're they're not reporting that. You know, they're only telling you a half-truth, and they're intentionally omitting a lot of information there, which adds up to a deliberate lie. Okay? So, again, we'll, we'll just keep going on this because Simon Marks... He wanted to talk about this in his spotlight that day. Looking today at growing protests in Germany, where some are calling for the far-right Alternative for Germany political party to be banned after revelations that its senior figures attended a meeting where mass deportations from the country were discussed. The AFD is in second place in national polls in Germany, and correspondent Thomas Sparrow, with the country's external broadcaster Deutsche Welle, says it's the possibility of the AFD enjoying success in elections this year 
year that fueled the meetings. The plans are basically there in case the AFD gets to power, let's say, in the eastern part of the country. That's a big if, because even if they did win, win the polls in the eastern part of the country, that does not necessarily mean that they would be leading a regional government. However, after it became clear that that meeting did take place, that AFD politicians were part of that extremist meeting in many, many cities around Germany. Very, very, very big protests have been happening. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people are going out to the streets to protest against these plans and against the Alternative for Germany party. The AFD says it's being smeared and that the country's ruling coalition is simply terrified of its rise in the polls. But the suggestion that millions of asylum seekers and so-called non-assimilated people might be forced out of the country rings alarm bells with its obvious echoes of Germany's fascist past. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Yeah, thank. Okay, so um, mm-hmm. well, um, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but uh, when the National Socialist Party uh, was being developed in Germany in the uh, 1930s, 1940s, mm-hmm. didn't they come in second in an election? I think so. And yeah. didn't I mean, they have they like, lost and then yeah, yeah, and, and, and they had um, mass protests in, in the streets supporting um, the National Socialist Party, correct? Uh, yeah, they, they basically paid a few shills, and mm-hmm. uh, there you go. Yeah, so in other words, if you don't remember history, you're bound to repeat it. Germany better start mm-hmm. paying attention. That's what I got to say about that, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have any other comment on that one before we move on? Uh, yeah, this is a nigger, Schmidt. <laughs> okay. All right. Whatever that's so now. Okay. Now here's another part. Now all of that, in my opinion, that plays into Matthew 24. Okay. A lot of that plays into Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. Another another mm-hmm. part of Matthew 24 though deals with famines, doesn't it? Famines and pestilences it and all that does. kind of good stuff. Okay. Well, let, let's and listen. It implies. To- um, it, it also implies that they are man-made famines. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's listen to this. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks, with an update today on the situation in Sudan, nine months after a violent conflict erupted between Sudanese armed forces and the opposition Rapid Support Force. It all began last April. More than 7.4 million Sudanese have been displaced by the violence since then. 25 million people, half of them children, are reportedly in desperate need of humanitarian assistance as governance in the country breaks down. Bob McMahon, with America's Council on Foreign Relations, says there is no immediate cause for optimism. There's ethnic cleansing that goes on, and the thought of the RSF gaining a sway over most of the country really sends chills through Sudanese because they have antagonized the population. The peace process through this uh, Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or EGED, that again was seen as this new effort to try to get something going. You have to have the principals willing to sit down and talk. That's not happening. The UN says a pittance of its humanitarian appeal for Sudan has been answered so far. This is a country facing severe food shortages, if not famine. It's got a population in flight. It's got a population preyed upon by combatants. And it's got a world preoccupied with other matters that's not spending enough time focusing on it. The UN says in one city alone, El Janaina, last year as many as 15,000 people may have been killed in ethnic violence. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Matthew 24 again, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What do you think, David? I think they, they use the word combatants because they don't want to say Muslims. Mm, yeah, and Because it, the Christians are not combatants over there. If, if they're fighting, it's because they're protecting their villages. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. And I'm, by the way, I can support that uh, by the reports I've seen as a member of the U.S. Press Association. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm going to play this one, and we're going to get more into the Ukraine and into Israel in the second half of the show. We're just running out of time because there's so much. Now, keep in mind, everything <laughs> we're talking about is happening in one week. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is our week in review. This is the week in review, and we got a long way to go. Okay, A long way to go. So let's listen to this one. 
Turkish lawmakers have approved Sweden's bid to join NATO, overcoming a significant obstacle in the country's pursuit to become part of the alliance. The Turkish parliament ratified Sweden's membership with 287 votes in favor, 55 against, and four abstentions. The ratification will be finalized following its publication in the official gazette, which is expected to be prompt. Following this, Hungary remains the sole NATO member yet to ratify Sweden's membership. Chris Anderson reporting. And I am really hoping that they don't ratify it, because if they do, we're looking at World War III right down barrel, okay? Russia is not going to allow the Ukraine, number one, they're not going to allow them to win the war. They're going to lose. Whether you like it or not, they're going to lose. It's a small country, and they're running out of arms, okay? Mm-hmm. But if they were to join NATO, Russia would immediately attack NATO somewhere, mm-hmm. You know, so we're, we're looking at World War Three, and it's going to be a nuclear war, and we're going to go back into the Stone Age when that happens. I don't care if it's tactical mm-hmm. nukes or the big boys. Okay. It, it, no, I mean, it, if you read the the prophetic language, it talks about you know things melting and and things turning to blood, mm-hmm. and it talks about all these. Hey, they're riding in on horses and they're cutting heads off. Mm-hmm. That would be characteristic of a nuclear age, where which would blow out all our electronics, and we would be going back to uh, Amen. the uh, the past. So yep. it it just kind of fits the narrative. It's yeah. very interesting, I must say. Well, that is exactly what I have been saying now for quite a while. I used to think, and uh, I've got a, a, a close relative of mine who says, you know, took to, takes the same position that I took for years, that um, when Ezekiel was looking at all this stuff, and, uh, when, well, when Bible prophets were looking at all this stuff, that they were describing what they could see the best way they could. And, you know, I agreed with that. And, it's, and that is possible, by the way. But it's just as possible that EMTs go off all over the world that we sent back into the Stone Age and that everything in the Bible that is talked about there is literal. They really are riding horses. They really are using shields and swords and all that kind of stuff because that's all they got. All right, we'll talk about that. weapons for months? Yeah, we will talk about this uh, more in the future, of course. Uh, we got a lot more news to cover today, but the one thing that I do want to do is I want to remind people that we are going to be attending a, um, a conference in Dallas, Texas, uh, April 5th through the 8th. It is a prophetic conference. You're all welcome to go there. Um, you see the information on screen if you are uh, watching us uh, in visual form. Uh, but it is uh, can, David. Real quick, I don't have the I don't have it up in front of me right now. Do you remember the the uh, name of this thing? It's the prophetic. Oh yeah, it, it's here, the Watchman, and okay. it's um, prophetic signs in the heavenlies. Yeah, because it. they are appearing everywhere. They have been uh, for quite some time. Particularly started in 2015 to 17 with mm-hmm. the uh, four blood moons. Uh, people thought that was the sign, but they got to remember signs are always ahead of the event, not at the event. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of those. And we'll be back right after the break with a second act of Last Christian. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Caroline Malone with The Week in Review. The International Court of Justice has ordered Israel to take all measures within its power to prevent potential acts of genocide in Gaza but the ICJ stopped short of calling for an immediate ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Correspondent Ishan Gerg was outside the court in The Hague. The court has said that Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent uh, that uh, any genocidal activities are taking place. It has also asked Israel to provide humanitarian support. On top of that, uh, the court has also asked Israel to submit a report within one month uh, stating how exactly it's been making progress on uh, the activities, on the measures that have been imposed on it by the court. But uh, one thing that does stand out that there is no call, there is no order for a ceasefire in the court's uh, verdict. A report by Reuters says China is asking officials in Iran to help rein in attacks on ships in the Red Sea by the Houthi militants. It adds that several meetings have already taken place between the two sides in Beijing and Tehran. Patrick Fock reports. The report, quoting four Iranian sources and a diplomat, says China warned Iran that if its interests are harmed in any way, then it would impact its business with Tehran, adding that Beijing told Iran to tell the Houthis to show restraint. 
Attacks by Houthis on merchant vessels in the Red Sea have driven the cost of shipping and insurance high and a key trade route between Asia and Europe. China is Iran's top buyer of oil and imports have hit record highs despite the threat of U.S. sanctions. Patrick Falk, Singapore. Pakistan has accused India of killing two of its citizens on Pakistani soil, claiming that it shows a pattern of alleged Indian assassination plots abroad. The Indian Ministry of External Affairs has denied Pakistan's allegations, accusing its neighbour of spreading false and malicious anti-India propaganda. Hira Mustafa reports from Islamabad. Pakistan's Foreign Secretary made the allegation in a press conference claiming Islamabad has credible evidence connecting Indian agents to extrajudicial killings in Pakistan-administered Kashmir. India has denied Pakistan's allegations, but experts say the move will further heighten tensions between the two nuclear-armed neighbours. The two nations downgraded bilateral ties in 2019 after New Delhi brought Indian-administered Kashmir under its direct control. In November, U.S. authorities accused an unnamed Indian government official of conspiring to commit murder on American soil. This revelation came after Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau publicly alleged India's involvement in the killing of a Canadian national on its soil. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. And welcome back to the second half of Last Christian. Again, my name is J.D. Williams, and joining me from New York City is my co-host, Mr. David Paxton. And David, you wanted to get right back into something before we move on uh, that was discussed there in the first half of the show. So I'm going I'm to turn it over to you right now. Oh, great. So, yeah, we, we talk about all these news events, and people sometimes people will be like, hey, why do you talk about that? Just praise the Lord and uh, stuff like that. Well, the, um, you know, the Bible teaches us basically to be aware of what's happening. Jesus chastised the Jews for not knowing the time of his coming. And since he explained this in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21 and, and, uh, and then in uh, Mark as well. Mm -hmm. So he explained what was going to happen. And he told you to look out for these things because right. of the birth danger happening. So when when birth pains are happening they you'll get one here you'll get one there but then when they're they're getting ready to give birth they get closer together they get more intense and that's really what we're looking at right. so it wasn't because we saw earthquakes for years even uh we we'll talk about that for a second too earthquakes from you know even 1923 i think there was like 75 earthquakes right. that are counted you can look it up on, I think, usgs.gov. Um, but just this past year in 23, they listed like 163 earthquakes. So they're increasing and they're increasing um, faster and faster as we go. But we see these world wars that are coming out. We see a time where Jesus said the whole world will see me at once. Well, there was never a time in history where the entire world has a cell phone. They're yeah. sending cell phones to these <laughs> third world countries. Mm. Why don't you send them food? Mm. Oh, no, they need a cell phone. Yeah. No. So, um, and the, it says that the, the islands will flee away and the mountains will melt. Well, mm -hmm. well, what would cause that other than like a nuclear explosion <laughs> or Jesus coming back? Yeah. Um, there's things, I don't know if you heard about the Schumann resonance, but basically it's a low frequency electromagnetic field that surrounds the globe. Yes, ah. it's a globe. Okay. Um, and that is getting all whacked out of shape. So there's something going on in the middle of the earth, possibly a pole shift coming or something mm -hmm. like that, which I believe has happened in the past when we see different things like uh, time going backwards. It could have possibly been a magnetic pole shift in mm -hmm. the Bible. So that's one thing to explore, at least. Um, solar flares are increasing. And Bible even talks about the sun getting seven times as hot. Well, that's what happens with a star when it burns out. It's supernovas yeah. and it literally mm -hmm. gets seven times as big. Mm -hmm. So all these things are like coming at us faster and faster one and faster and faster. Yeah. And, and here we are. We're at the end of the age, you know, and you don't want to be left out. No, no. I got no desire. No desire for that at all. Um, mm -hmm. Now, Jesus is coming back. We're going to keep rolling with news here, yep. and and hopefully it'll all come together for you guys as, as we get toward the end of the show. I'm really hoping to put this all together for you, and yeah, we're, we're going to maybe. start we're, we're going to start with this. And this is the first time we hear about Russia 
But remember, Russia, Russia, Russia. At the UN Assembly, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, engaged in a heated exchange with the United States and allies of Ukraine, dismissing any peace proposal endorsed by Kyiv and Western nations. Meanwhile, China cautioned that escalating global turmoil could affect the already slowing world economy. Lavrov labeled Ukrainian military efforts as utterly unsuccessful, asserting that Ukraine's forces are incapable of subduing or weakening Russian might. Wade Addison reporting. And that's 100% true. Again, you know, I've talked about this for years, you know, that mm -hmm. Russia's a big country. They're a nuclear country. They're, you know, they, they got all they need, and Ukraine's got nothing. Ukraine, uh, they count on the United States and the world to take care of them. And when that aid ends, so does, the, so does Zelensky and you, the Ukraine, okay? Mm -hmm. So, um and Russia and isn't Putin ain't playing. I can yeah. tell you that right now. And well, Russia, no matter what you think about him, he's not playing. No, he's not. And uh, as a matter of fact, he's he's driving that message home with this. A series of Russian missile strikes across eastern and central Ukraine, including the capital city of Kiev, resulted in at least six fatalities and over 60 injuries. In the northeastern city of Kharkiv, five individuals lost their lives and 51 were injured when residential buildings were struck, as reported by the region's governor, Oleh Sinihubov, on social media. Joseph Ekerson reporting. And if you believe that only five people were killed in a Russian attack that hit uh, residential apartment complexes and all that kind of stuff, that's a half-truth. Yeah. That is a half-truth. That is a deliberate lie to keep things down and to let people know that, oh, oh yeah, Ukraine's fault. They're, they're okay. No, they're not. They're getting murdered over there. It's you know They're running out of time quick. And so uh, they negotiated, David, uh, the Ukrainian government and the Russian government. They uh, ne negotiated with each other, and they came across with a prisoner swap. Okay? There Two planes, one plane going from Russia to the Ukraine, another one Ukraine to Russia. Okay, sounds like a good deal, right? Okay, listen to this. Mm -hmm. A Russian transport plane has crashed in the southern Belgorod region, close to the Ukrainian border. Russian officials say all 74 people on board were killed, including 65 captured military personnel it says were being transported for a prisoner exchange. Moscow authorities accused Kiev of a planned attack on the plane. Ukrainian officials have yet to comment. Daria Bundachuk reports from Moscow. The Russian Defense Ministry confirmed that the Il-76 airplane that crashed near Belgorod on Wednesday carried six crew members, three accompanying persons and 65 captured Ukrainian servicemen that were being transported for an exchange with Ukraine. The head of the Russian Parliament's Defense Committee, Kartapolov, said that the Ukrainian side was informed about the route of the plane carrying prisoners of war. Another jet with 80 more Ukrainian servicemen on board, which was flying after the downed plane, was turned around, he said. After the incident, the official added, prisoner exchanges between Ukraine and Russia will apparently be put on pause. Daria yeah. Bondarchuk, Moscow. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be put on pause, all right. Uh, now, yeah, surprise, you know, surprise. Yeah, there was only a few uh, Russians on board, the, the crew, and then there were soldiers that were guarding these prisoners. But uh, Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't think even that narrative is true. I what think do you think happened? It's, it's similar to what happened here on, on a recent September 11th. I don't think mm. they're telling us the whole story. Oh, and no. maybe or maybe not there were passengers on those planes, and maybe they're elsewhere. You never know. It's well, just a supposition on my part. Yeah, well, I believe, I believe that there were. And the reason that, that I say that is because Zelensky is calling for a um, an investigation into it, but at the same time he is neither confirming nor denying that the Ukraine shot the plane down. So mm. I think the Ukraine shot the plane down. I think they panicked. You know that's now that's my supposition. I don't have any 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 facts. Yeah, well, we got yeah. we got two good ones. Let's yeah. see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now then, I want you to listen to this report and this one. I'm going to tell you in advance. I what would I name this? Okay, I named this Hamas in Gaza is seeking pity. The death toll in the Gaza Strip, as reported by the Hamas-run health ministry, has exceeded 25,000 due to the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Despite this significant loss of life and extensive destruction, the Israeli government's objectives to dismantle Hamas and secure the release of over 100 hostages remain unfulfilled. 
The Israeli authorities predict that the hostilities may persist for several additional months, given the current situation, Joseph Eckerson reporting. Yeah, it's going to go on until they're done. You know, and I don't know. I mean, again, half-truth, intentional omission, deliberate lie. You you put it however you want to, but they're spinning it as best they can. Oh, the poor Gazans, the poor babies. You know, there are 25,000 of them mm-hmm. have been killed. That and Let me tell you this. I want to make this really, really clear. I report this as a member of the press. None of them would have been killed if they hadn't killed Israeli citizens first in an unprovoked attack and killed them, uh, cutting babies out of mothers' wombs, cutting children's heads off, burning people alive. If they hadn't have done that, they wouldn't have lost 25,000 people. So that little, this little thing right here, if you're watching it in visual form, that's a violin. That's a little bitty tiny violin, okay? So, oh well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that they're dying, but they shouldn't attack Israel. And if they'd stop it, so would Israel. That's pretty easy. All right. Um, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, David, I told you that Israel had had warned um, the Egyptians to move away from the Rafah crossing in mm-hmm. southern Gaza. What well, went on pretty much unreported by the mainstream media. So here we go. Egyptian authorities have voiced strong objections to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's proposal to establish Israeli control over a narrow buffer zone on the Gaza side of the border with Egypt, stretching for approximately 100 yards. Netanyahu asserts that this area, known as the Philadelphia Corridor, is a conduit for smuggling weapons and other materials to Gaza's Hamas leadership, a claim Egypt firmly rejects. Netanyahu emphasized the strategic necessity of this corridor, stating, The Philadelphia Corridor, or more accurately, the southern closure point of the Gaza Strip, must be under our control and completely sealed, Benjamin Wright reporting. Completely sealed, as in we want a border. Mm -hmm. Unique concept, don't you think? Yes, I like borders myself. <laughs> Absolutely. And even our, even our politicians like borders as they put big walls and fences around their own properties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's something they don't want to talk about. Okay, mm. so uh, we're going to get more and more into Israel now. This is the important stuff that's coming up here. So first of all, we're going to deal with this international court. Let's listen to this one. The International Court of Justice has ordered Israel to take all measures within its power to prevent potential acts of genocide in Gaza. But the ICJ stopped short of calling for an immediate ceasefire in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. This initial ruling comes after South Africa accused Israel of committing genocide, which the Israeli government denies. Our correspondent Ishan Gerg is outside the court in The Hague. The court has said that Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent uh, that uh, any genocidal activities are taking place. It has also asked Israel to provide humanitarian support. On top of that, uh, the court has also asked Israel to submit a report within one month uh, stating how exactly it's been making progress on uh, the activities, on the measures that have been imposed on it by the court. But uh, one thing that does stand out that there is no call, there is no order for a ceasefire in the court's uh, verdict. And there, it wouldn't matter. It, it wouldn't matter mm-hmm. if there was. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why. It's got nothing to do with, with anything except the court's actual authority. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's authority. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you really think that Israel is even going to answer that? Yeah. To, to be like, yeah, oh, uh, you've obviously mistaken me with someone who cares. Now go away. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, world court says, you know, they've got to stop genocide. Well, number one, they're not doing genocide at Mm -hmm. all, okay? But uh, this ruling, 15 to 17 judges on the international court voted for emergency measures, which covered most of South Africa, what South Africa asked for. And this is South Africa that brought this to to this (laughs) court, okay? (laughs) Why they brought it, I don't don't know. But anyway, anyway, um, the... Uh, Israeli Prime Minister um, Benjamin Netanyahu said, the state of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of the Genocide Convention. Actually, that was the court. Apologize for that mistake. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu, he said that um, the state of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all... I read it again. Here's the real one. Here's the real one. I'll get it right this time. 
um, the vile attempt to dis- to deny Israel its fundament- fundamental right is blatant discrimination against the Jewish state, and it was justly rejected. Now then, uh, there's a note in here. This is the important part. It says, but while the ICJ uh, decisions are final and without appeal, the court has no way to enforce them. Toothless (laughs) tiger. Toothless tiger. Tiger. This is we mean it this time. We mean it. Okay. <laughs> so Israel's not going to pay them any attention whatsoever. All right. Mm-hmm. Now then, there's other stuff. You know, and we're going to get away from Israel for one report, and then we'll get right back to it again. Okay. But we need to know what's going on with China because I think that China is is going to be heavily involved in what's coming too. So let's listen to this. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Today, the future for Taiwan diplomatically on the world stage after the elections that took place there earlier this month. Taiwanese voters rewarded the country's Democratic Progressive Party with an historic third win, precisely the result Beijing did not want to see. But China had a victory of its own up its sleeve by persuading the tiny Pacific island of Nauru to sever diplomatic relations with Taipei and restore them with mainland China instead. Bob McMahon is with America's Council on Foreign Relations. This is part of an ongoing effort by China to pick off all of the countries that recognize Taiwan and in so doing, once and for all, completely isolate Taiwan and continue what it hopes is an inevitable, inexorable path towards unification with the mainland. China's response has been somewhat guarded since the results, but it was quick to lash out at countries that were supportive of Taiwan, including the U.S., which in its response stressed it did not recognize Taiwanese independence, but nonetheless congratulated Mr. Lai on his victory. But also you had countries like Japan and the Philippines with pretty strong, robust notes of congratulations to the DPP's candidate for winning which brought an immediate rebuke from Beijing. Nauru's government claimed it reached its decision independently, with no pressure applied by Beijing. Taiwan said it was deeply grieved by the decision. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. So Taiwan continues to lose allies and become more and more isolated. And what are we going to do to prevent it? When when China moves in, David, and you know they're going to, There's, you know, they've made no secret of it, they're taking Taiwan. They have they have stated that they're they're going to mm-hmm. take it. It's just you know it's not if it's when. So when it happens, what do you expect the United States will do? Uh, the United States is basically toothless at this stage. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if uh, something happens. I know you know uh, sometimes we've seen where we're at the very end of the age, and sometimes it it comes back and we're like, hey, we got a few mm-hmm. more years. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I I kind of think we're right at the end, but yeah. let's see what happens. Yeah, I so think we're I, I think we're closer. Nice to, do anything. Yeah, I think we're closer to the end. And, and my reasoning in that is that I feel like Donald Trump was put in office as the forty fifth president by God. And by the way, if you look if you look at the Bible, it says that God establishes leaders. And I think Donald mm-hmm. Trump was was placed in uh, in office to move the. Um, embassy, an American embassy, from mm-hmm. Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and also to show that we are highly in support of them. The Abraham Accords came about, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was working hard. I believe President Biden was put in charge by God to destroy all that and to bring about the end of the world. Now, that's yeah. personal opinion. Okay, make that really clear. It's personal opinion. But That's a good one, though. When you look at it, you know, and you really think about it, it, it sort of does make sense, right? So, um, anyway, uh, kind of in that vein, anyway, I mean, there's um, Israel has got to protect itself. It's made very, very clear it's going to protect itself. It's protected itself against uh, the terrorists out of Gaza. It's doing the same thing with the Houthis. It's doing the same thing with Hezbollah. And they're getting more and more serious, and it's beginning to get more and more biblical as it gets more serious. So let's listen to this, and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. 
An Israeli assault on Damascus this Saturday resulted in the destruction of a facility utilized by the Iranian paramilitary Revolutionary Guard, leaving at least five Iranians dead, as reported by Syrian and Iranian authorities. According to the Syrian military, the building in Madze, a heavily fortified district in western Damascus, was completely obliterated. The Israeli Air Force reportedly launched the missiles from above the Golan Heights, an area under Israeli control. The Israeli military has not issued a statement regarding this incident. Benjamin Wright reporting. And they're not going to issue any statement. Israel doesn't tell you. You know, they just don't. Mm. But the the countries know where it comes from. They know. They just, you know, (laughs) Israel's not going to say, yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. Believe that reminds it. me of, uh, y- y- of course, we all know the uh, the children of Issachar, right? Okay, okay. Issachar. <laughs> Who in the heck is Issachar? <laughs> all right. So I mean, you're, you're going, you're, you're, every now and then you take off with one of these crazy names that I've never heard of before in my life, and and half the time I'm going, hmm. Who? Is, what, he, is, he, is he pulling my leg again? And you're pulling my leg again. Go well, ahead, check David. This out. Well, tell you what, I'm going to read this quick verse, and then you're going to tell me, how does this relate to what we're doing? Okay. So um, it's in First Chronicles 12, and we're, in, uh, we're going to read uh, 32. And uh, Okay, so he's talking about, hey, there's this many in that tribe and that many in this tribe, and then the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then he talks about, and the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, Mm. to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all the brethren were at their commandment. So these guys, or these children of Issachar, which were men who had understanding of the times, that's where we are. We have an understanding oh, of the I got time, you. I got and you. we know what Israel ought to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know what they ought to do, and we know what they're going to do eventually. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we know what the other countries are going to do eventually. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, as this continues, Israel is being criticized on a daily basis around the world. President Biden has criticized Israel on numerous occasions. I can't think of any world leader that has not criticized Israel to some degree since this started. I'm not saying that they, you know, calling them like South Africa did or as, you know, some kind of ethnic cleansing or genocide or something like that. They're, they're, some, most of them aren't doing that yet, but uh, they're still criticizing Israel, which isn't a good idea. But mm-hmm. it's also internal. Uh, so uh, let's listen to this one. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Today, thoughts about Benjamin Netanyahu's future as Prime Minister of Israel from one of his predecessors. Ehud Barak served in the post from 1999 until 2001, leading the country's Labour Party diametrically opposed to Netanyahu's Likud. On the day Israel confirmed the loss of 24 soldiers in Gaza, its largest one-day death toll since the invasion of the territory began in reprisals for the Hamas invasion of Israel on October the 7th, Mr. Barak says Netanyahu has to go. 80% of adult population in Israel believe that he is the main responsible for this blunder that never happened. Such a, a, a terrible day in the history of the country since its establishment. And 70% of the adult population in Israel believe that he has to resign. So it means he totally lost the trust of the people. And Israel cannot be led and navigated through such a, a precarious and subtle uh, decision-making uh, uh, challenges by a person who totally lost the trust of the people. So the only way is to remove him. But there is no sign of Benjamin Netanyahu preparing voluntarily to depart office, although stresses are growing within his governing coalition as the crisis continues. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. You know, we went through something similar when we had Vietnam. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted, uh, uh, you know, got rid of one president, brought in another one. He kept the war going anyway. You know, and yep. I, I think Barack would do the same thing if, you know, if, if he became well, here's PM the thing. again. You got to understand, that was uh, Hamas. You Do you believe him? Like, there's no way, no way in the world that seventy percent want Netanyahu. Out. Oh, of course there's not. No, no. no. and it's you're, awfully, you're, 
awfully round for a number that he has. <laughs> well, you know, actually, that was going through my mind when, when I heard that report and I forgot it. As you know, I've got a short-term memory that's about a, a millisecond long. And I, I was going to say just that. There is no way 70% of Israel yeah, has just, turned on Netanyahu. No way. That's called MCU, where I come from. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they make crap up. Okay, all right. I wasn't even going to ask for the definition, but you gave it, so we're we're all good. All right, believe it or not, David, I actually made it through all the news. Okay, no way. Yeah, I did. I made it. I mean, that took a lot of effort. Um, but the, we did it. Yeah. The the one thing that I will say, um, kind of go back here just for a second on that world court thing. Um, again, uh, they are. Th this came out of uh, Reuters, and that's the reason I gave that report because. Uh, I wanted people to understand the whole world is beginning to turn on Israel exactly the way the Bible said. And the countries that are listed in Ezekiel chapter 38 are coming mm -hmm. together exactly the way the Bible said. And the attacks are beginning to turn toward Damascus. And remember, the Bible says that Damascus will cease to be a city. If you heard mm -hmm. that report earlier, it said it, they completely obliterated. I hope I said that right one complete area wherever it is that they hit, that's what they're going to do to the whole city if it's Israel. And I'm not saying it's Israel. You know, we've talked about that before. It could be a missile hey, cool. go up and come right back down. It could be an act of God. It could be anything, you know. But yeah. uh, Damascus is yeah, going well, to be destroyed. Yeah, I got I got a couple thoughts on that. I mean, yeah, they can um, – um, I am leaning towards it's probably Israel anyway. Me too. Um, but here, here's the thing. The, remember Hiroshima? No, because yeah. neither one of us were there. But I remember the pictures. And yeah, that place me too. Was I've destroyed. watched it. Yeah, I've, I've heard all the reports. Well, I'm, I'm a history buff, David. I'm, I dig deep ah. into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, apparently the bombs are like 100 times bigger than that now. So that would easily destroy the city and bring it to a point where it could not be inhabited again. So that right. would easily fit the narrative. Yeah, yeah, it would. And, you know, uh, again, I don't know if Israel's going to do it. Or, you know, we've talked about it, whether or not a thing go up, come back down, whether it's a misfire yeah, they from might, another They place. might grab their own and set yeah. it off by accident. Who knows? But I do Which know happens. that uh, <laughs> that Isaiah 17 details it. So if you look up in the Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 17. Uh, just look at 17.1. It'll tell you. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Yeah. There you uh, go. Uh, also go to uh, Ezekiel 38. We've talked about that numerous times, and we'll continue to because it's got to come true. That's, we yes. talk about prophecy that hasn't happened yet, which again— So it is written. Um, yeah. So it is done. So again, I want to uh, remind everybody about the conference coming up in April, April 5th through the 8th. That's in Dallas, Texas. Everyone is invited. And if you can't make it to the physical conference, David, tell them they, 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 can, still, they can still hear it and see it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go to hear the watchmen. That's plural. Hear the watchmen.com. And you can actually get a live stream. I think he's got a sale going on for a little bit. But I don't know when you're listening to this, but check it out. Go over there. And this way you can have it. You can actually download all the videos. We got, uh, you know, more professional, um, you know, video people this year. And mm -hmm. you'll be able to hold on to them for all eternity or until Jesus comes back. Yeah. So, yeah. and you can have a party, you can have all your friends over, you have a, a study on your own, all for the price of one live stream. Amen. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and a reminder, David and I are both going to be there. You know, um, David is a speaker. Um, and so you guys will have the opportunity to hear him. And then as people, before people go on stage or as they come off, they'll be coming into a separate room outside the actual um conference itself and that's where i'll be uh interviewing people and david's going to join me from time to time he'll be interviewing people as well and we may even have a show that comes directly from there i don't know yet but we'll see um but anyway i, I do want to again let everybody know that if you have not accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior please do so there's no reason to go through that tribulation period there's no reason to have eternal separation from god all you've got to do is say that simple prayer of salvation in your own words. Tell God that you are a sinner. You ask for forgiveness, that you know Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, that he spent three days in the tomb. He rose after that third Amen. day. He has ascended to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's going to come back for his church. And when that happens, every Christian living and dead is going to meet him in the air, and we hope to see you there. So until next time, everybody, we hope that you'll join us again for the next 
edition of Last Christian. For David Paxton, I'm J.D. Williams, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us today for The Last Christian Radio Show. And be sure to tune in every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday right here and at www.lastchristian.net until the trumpet sounds. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, could potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council.